bear with me too as things are just slightly different. So um, we, uh, you know, here we are, um, and um, we've, been, we've been walking through the book of Daniel, right? And, and Old Testament, book of Daniel, it's full of uh, a lot of, there's many references to kings that lived long ago and places far away. And, 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 and from time to time, when we look at some of those passages of scripture, it can be easy for us to sort of um, make assumptions that like it, it's so distant, it's so different, okay? But at its core, Daniel is a story about someone who was moved out of their home and into a strange place, right? And had to there find what it means to serve the Lord. I, I feel like I can relate to that in the present moment, right? And so we're going to continue through the book of Daniel. We're going to do what God put before us months ago that we, we prayed for the Spirit to lead us into. And so we're going to be in Daniel 7 today, Daniel chapter 7, um, which is just kind of where we were by the by, okay? So... Um, but before we do that, uh, something, something came to, uh, to, to my attention the last couple of weeks, um, and, and, and it really ha- is about, um, you know, how, we, how our outlook on what's coming, our outlook on what's ahead, okay? And, um, and, and it has to do with this um, sixth member of, our seventh member, sorry, of our family. Um, <laughs> her name is Figgy, and I, some of you have heard this story, so I'm, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about it, but... Um, but a little over a week ago, um, Figgy um, got out of the yard, which she does all the time. Um, so she got out of our yard, and she ran the neighborhood, and she wound up, um, a, a, a little bit of a spoiler, she wound up under a concrete pad under our neighbor's porch. And she was stuck in there, as best we can tell, for six or seven hours. Okay? Yeah, I know, poor dog. Right. <clears throat> That's one of the things I said <laughs> about her and to her that evening, okay? But I, I, I tell the story and bring this up because <clears throat> there was a point in time while Figgy was gone, um, and I was, I was working during the day, I started getting messages from my wife. <clears throat> I started getting messages from my wife, excuse me, <clears throat> around, around 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon that Figgy had gotten out. And I, my first response was, she'll come back. She gets out all the time. She knows our house. It's not that unusual that, like, we'll look out the front door and she's just sitting in the front yard instead of the back. So I wasn't too worried about it. And then, uh, but, but my family loves this dog far more than we should love any animal. And so, they're, you know, they're out blistering their feet, you know, pounding the pavement, looking for her. And, and there, there may or may not have been some tears associated with this. But, but about, about 4.30, 4.45 that day, you know, I get a message. Figgy's still not back, and we think she might be in the neighbor's house, okay? To which I thought, what? <laughs> okay? So, so I, that, that prompted a little more action on my part, and I head home. But and on my way home, I'm imagining, like, what could possibly be the case? And I landed on this. This was the most likely scenario. Figgy is, um, she's a mix of breeds that are hunters and chasers, strong nose, strong prey instinct. If you are an animal lover at large, Figgy is not your pet, okay? <laughs> she, is, she is no friend of, of other animals. Um, but but, um, but my, my thought was, okay, she chased a cat in through a pet door, has gone in that house, and probably disposed of the cat. I'm not saying she's done that before, but 
to call her a cat murderer would be appropriate. Um, she just, it, it, it was an accident. Um, so it was that the cat came in our yard. Um, so, so she, but, but like she's killed this cat and now she's just wreaking havoc in their, in their house. Like, can you imagine coming home and there's your beloved cat and our beloved dog in your home? Okay. So I get home and, and that was, that was what I could figure. Okay. That's what I figured it was. Um, and, um, and I had, I had my, my family check and strange thing, the house that Figgy appeared to be in, um, or that we thought she was in, um, was, uh, there was no pet door. Okay. So if she got in, she got in some other way. Okay. Um, and so, you know, my wife's hypothesis was that, that she explained to me, clearly this was a loving neighbor who saw our dog out in the wild and, and wanted to, to do right by her, and so, so gathered her and then put her in there and is caring for her until her owners reappear, okay? And I thought, no, if there's no pet door, what happened was somehow Figgy, oh, we found out in the meantime another piece of information, this, these people have a chihuahua, yeah. I mean, it's about the right size to be a cat. Um, so my theory, yeah, that Figgy and the Chihuahua had an altercation, and they're now like, Figgy's actually in prison in their house for, for what she did. This all went on, okay? This, all this stuff. But, but I, I bring this up because there's a couple different perspectives on the way we view events that are going on around us, right? Like, I tend to look at things around me, and I think, yeah, Figgy is, it's bad, okay? Like, the things going through my mind that day were things like, like, I don't, I don't have any idea if homeowner's insurance covers my dog breaking into a neighbor's house, killing their cat, and then wreaking havoc. So I'm probably going to be bankrupt. Like, my dog is going to bankrupt me. Like, these are the things that I'm wondering. And my wife is like, gee, I just wonder, like, you know, <laughs> is Figgy okay? And, and who is this kind person caring for her? Okay? And as we came to find out, the kind person's Jeff and Carl. We met our neighbors! <laughs> Um, because Figgy was under their porch, and he, Jeff, very kindly helped me, like, pry her out and get her out of there. So, so <laughs> Figgy was just doing the Lord's work and introducing us to, to some newish neighbors. <laughs> but, but, it's, but, but the truth of the matter is, this is the thing, okay? This is the thing. Um, we, we have an outlook on, like, on events and what's happening around us, in the world around us. And, and, and we have a way of looking at it. We, we, carry, we carry baggage with us, we carry stuff with us into our world that, that leads us to draw conclusions about what's happening. And it, it impacts the way we view future outcomes, right? It, even in, in silly things like, like a dog that just wound up trapped versus in someone's house, but in the bigger things, okay? And what's happening in our, in our community, in our nation, what's happening in our, in our church body, what's happening like, in our world. We, we, we carry all kinds of just sort of unspoken assumptions about the positive or negative things of the world around us. Okay? And, and today in Daniel 7, we're going to take a look at, um, at a, a vision of the future. We're into a section in Daniel... We're in a section in Daniel where, where Daniel is going to receive many visions of the future. He's going to receive many visions of the future. And it can be a, it, these can be passages of Scripture that sometimes we come to them and we look at them, and let's be honest, like, they can be very confusing. Okay? 
there's imagery that we just don't really understand. It doesn't necessarily equate to anything. And so there's key word. One of the key words in these passages is like. I saw something like this. Okay? And Daniel, Daniel in, his, in his vision, is going to give us the best view of what he saw. Okay? But we want to take a look at this, and as faithfully as possible, we want to look at what does this have to do with us? Okay? How do we take the word of, the, God, the word of God that came to Daniel in, us in a special vision, and how do we take that and, and look at it in, in our lives and, and understand what God's doing in the world? And, and, and in the book of Daniel, we looked at one vision already, but that was a vision that was given to a king that Daniel interpreted. And, and now we're going to take a look at, at a vision of Daniel. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Daniel chapter 7, you want to turn to Daniel chapter 7, that's where we're going to be this, this morning. So Daniel chapter 7. It said this. It said, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. This is about 550 years before Christ, okay, roughly. Okay? In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote, the, he wrote down the substance of his dream. So clearly the person writing this is writing it. They're going to write it in, for Daniel, but, but this, is, this is told. Uh, someone else is saying this was Daniel's vision that he recorded. Okay, So there's a little bit of a... Um, some, some preamble there. So, um, so he's, he's keeping a dream journal long before Freud. Okay? Chapter 7, verse 2 says, Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Okay? Uh, important imagery. Four winds of, uh, the, the four winds of heaven would be the, 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 it's four winds coming from every direction. He's saying like this is an all-encompassing thing. And the sea, this is, there's, this is sort of very um, Babylonian, which is where he was at the time. This is, the, the, the sea was always associated with chaos. Okay? Ka- uh, bad things, chaotic things always came out of the sea. So he says they were churning up the great sea. And then it says four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like, there's our, one of our words, the first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. Okay? So that's the first beast that he sees. In verse 5, he says, and, and there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. Second beast that he sees. The third one in verse 6. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. Okay? Now, I want to pause there for a second. Um, anytime we're dealing with these prophetic utterances, these dreams, these visions, um, and we've sort of seen this pattern before in some of Daniel's things, and we'll see it again it, it, it seems like these, these, are, these are particular kings that came along after this time, okay? And scholars can agree and disagree about some of this, but it looks like these first three beasts are going to be, and, and not a lot's going to be said about this, the rest of this passage, so I'm just going to kind of just summarize this. It, 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 probably these are the, the, the kingdoms of Babylon, the, kings of, the kingdom of Medo-Persia, like the one of being the Persians, and then finally the, this, last, this third beast here is probably the kingdom of Greece, okay? Probably the kingdom of Greece. So keep reading, because the the emphasis on this throughout the rest of the chapter is actually going to be on this fourth beast. It says, after that, verse 7, after that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. Notice the words he uses there, different from the first. The first were strange and unusual, but, but, but this is terrifying. It's frightening, very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot 
whatever was left. It was different from the other beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Okay? So we've got these three beasts that are, that are described. These first three beasts are all associated with different animals and different animal-like features. And we get to this fourth beast, and this fourth beast is different. Okay? It's not specifically associated with an animal. It has a mouth that speaks. In fact, it says it boasts that this, is, this, this beast is boastful. Okay? But, the, but, but what's really said here that's emphasized, I think, that stands out to me is this, this idea that this fourth beast... Now, if I saw a bear with ribs hanging out of its mouth and, you know, going to devour some more, I'm probably going to be a little worried about that, okay? But, but Daniel talks about this fourth beast and says, this was terrifying, okay? He was terrified by it. That there was something about this one that was different from the others, and it scared him, Okay? And, it, and, and I just want to pause for a minute and just and simply say this. When we're talking about these predictive prophecies, we're talking about the visions that, are given, that were given to Daniel. We're looking at the, the movement of, of history as it's revealed to Daniel. In, in this instance, in this moment, that Daniel's picture of the future was of a world that's getting worse and worse. Okay? It's getting worse and worse. From, the, from Daniel's vantage point, talking about future kingdoms, okay, each of these beasts that comes along gets a little more concerning than the next until it gets to this fourth one, and he says this fourth one was different. It was, it was, it was different. It, it, it hit me differently from the first, from the first three. It scared me. Right? It, was, it was chewing and devouring. It was boasting. It had a mouth that boasted. It was just different. So the dream, his dream presents the reality of a world that's full of beasts. This is his dream. We live in a world that's full of beasts. There's always a beast. There's always a beast in his vision, right? There's all, there's, it's one beast that replaces the next. One goes off the scene, another one comes in. The, the beasts, they're unrelenting and, and, and can be overwhelming, Right? Can be underwhelming. And it's tempting for us. I want to just, before we move on to the rest of this, it's tempting for us when we look at the world in which we live and we look forward, it's tempting for us to believe that, like, the next political wind that blows is going to blow in something good. Or the next thing that comes along in the world is going to be something that's going to make, make all the difference in a way that it's just going to be all sunny and happy all the time. Now, I'm not saying that we aren't here, we aren't people of hope, but I'm here to say that the vision that Daniel received of the world that was coming before him, that was coming after him, sorry, the world was coming after him, was, was a world of beasts. The world was full of these beasts. You know, for them, they were hoping that, a, that, 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 that the situation was going to change and it was going to become politically favorable for them to return to their land. Okay? They were looking forward to returning somewhere. They were hoping that that was going to be the case. And we know from the prophecy that actually in the midst of this, that did happen. They were able to return home to, the, to, their, to, to their home, to their land. They were able to worship again in, in, in Jerusalem, but, but that didn't end their struggling. And just like them, we have a tendency to believe that there's going to be these circumstantial things around me that I'm going to be able to change, or, or my, my circumstances are just going to, to brighten up enough 
that the trouble's going to go away. And the truth of Daniel's prophecy is that there's always going to be beasts in the world. Right? There's always going to be beasts in the world. Jesus said in John chapter 16, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. That's part of the story. Okay? It's part of the story. But it's not the end. Keep reading in Daniel 7. Keep reading with me in Daniel 7. It says this. He says, as I looked, so he's still in the, seeing these visions. He says, as I looked, thrones were set in place. And it says, and the ancient of days took his seat. This is an interesting uh, way to, to refer to, it's referring to God, okay? But it's an interesting way to refer to God, and it's using these terms, this term ancient of days, it places God as, as old, okay? Like, but not old in the sense of old and weak and frail, but, but old in the sense of, of learned and wise. Ancient of days standing outside just the temporary moment, having a long view of history and what's going on standing outside all of the change between all of these different ongoing uh, upheavals that lead from one beast to the next, okay? So he says, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. There's a purity about him, right? And, his, and, and the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were ablaze, uh, I don't think he was in a wheelchair. I hope not. I hope that's not the image. Maybe he was. I don't know. But, but the point being this, like fire is always an image of purification, right? So the, the king, the Ancient of Days, sits on his throne. And he's, he's, got, he's got fire around him. It goes on in verse 10. It says, A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. He's, he's gathered. There's, there are many who are there to hear the ruling of this king. The court was seated and the books were open. There's a, there's a standard upon which the king was going to judge what was going on. The ruler was going to judge. He keeps, Daniel keeps telling us the vision. He says, Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. Remember that last beast and had a mouth that was out of one of the horns that was speaking and boasting. This last beast, Daniel says, is a beast that's going to, even in the face of the ancient of days, even in the face of the, the, the purifying fire of, 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 of God, this beast continues to boast. He said, I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. So quickly, this beast is done away with. There's no struggle involved, actually. It boasts until the end. It says this about the other beasts. This is obviously parenthetical, okay? The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. That's, that's such fascinating commentary. It's all, it could be like a whole Sunday on its own, right? Like these things are only for a time. These beasts that come along, they're only for a time. They have authority, okay? There's authority given to them, but it's only for a time. Keep reading with me, verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Now again, huge language here, okay? There's enormous language here. And the question that, that when we look at Daniel chapter 7, and it's a fair question, is does Daniel know what he's seeing? Okay? Does Daniel know what he's seeing? Because this phrase, son of man, he uses, it's used in the book of Daniel just twice. But it's used in another one of the prophets around the same time of Daniel, Ezekiel. It's used in Ezekiel like countless times, over and over and over again. Okay? And it's used in the book of Psalms. That's it in the Old Testament. Okay? 
It just means, the phrase in the language just means someone who looked like they were human. <laughs> okay? Not a person, but someone who looked like a person. That's what, like what the phrase means. Now, this phrase becomes really important to us because Jesus comes along and Jesus, about 75 times it's recorded in the Gospels, refers to himself as the Son of Man. Okay? Jesus takes this language used by Daniel and Ezekiel primarily in, in, in the Old Testament. And he says, everything that you see about Son of Man is true of me. Okay? So did Daniel know that this was the coming? I don't know, honestly. When Daniel has his vision, when Daniel records it, I don't know what Daniel knew and didn't know. I'm, I, I can't. He doesn't tell us exactly. He tells us what he tells us. But I know this. I know this. That when, when the story is completely uh, laid out, that what we're looking at here in Daniel chapter 7 is the Messiah who would come, God in the flesh, Jesus, our Savior, the Son of Man. Okay? So he says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So this one like a son of man that Daniel does not recognize for, uh, fully for who he is. It's not like he lays out the full fulfillment of everything that Jesus would be. But this one like a son of man comes before God, comes before his throne, and Daniel witnesses it. He witnesses it. And the things that are said is authority, glory, power, worship, everlasting dominion. This kingdom will never be destroyed. This son of man. So the second big idea that we see in this vision, what happened just before this, right? The coming Lord Jesus completely eliminates all enemies. We get this? Like it, there's beasts in this world, right? There's beasts in this world. But the Lord Jesus eliminates that. That's the, the, the fulfillment of the story is that, that it's Jesus who eliminates all the beasts, all the enemies. No one can stand against God, Father and Son. Remember John 16, I just said in John 16, Jesus says, you will have trouble in this world. But immediately after that, he also says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? That's this. this what Daniel is looking at in his vision is Jesus overcoming the trouble of this world. He's seeing it. He's seeing the, 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 the beast thrown into the fire, dismissed, summarily dismissed. No struggle at all. That's the comparison of the power that exists between God and the trouble of this world. Right? And it's Jesus who does it. So he goes on. Let's get through this. Verse 15. Then he says, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit. That makes sense, right? There's a lot here to not understand. I was troubled in spirit. I, didn't, I don't know what I saw. And the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I was upset by this. And I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. Thank you very much. I could use some help as well. Okay? Help me to understand. Verse 17, he says, The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. 
yes, forever and ever. In two verses there, we get a summary of all of history. Right? There it is. What's at the center of everything that's going on in the book of Daniel? What's at the center of everything that's going on in our world? It's this. Kings will come and go. The kings of this world, the beasts of this world, the things that trouble us in this world will come and go. They're going to arise. But, right? But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. We don't do amen a lot. Can we amen that? The Holy One, the Most High, receive the kingdom. The people, the people of the Most High will receive the kingdom, will possess it forever. This is what's actually happening. I'm sorry, but it's all fake news. It's all fake news compared to this. This is what's happening, not what's on the, the cover of the newspaper or on your, your news feed. This is what's happening. God is at work. God is at work. And he says God's people will reign forever. Paul, in, in the book of Ephesians, at the end of chapter 1, Paul says, says it this way. He says, God placed all things under his, he's talking about Jesus, under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Do you get that? God placed everything under the feet of this son of man. He put it all there. And he appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, for God's people, the holy people. That's the fullness of God's plan. We are living today the fullness of God's plan. It was 2,500 years ago revealed to Daniel. He, he didn't see us here today. He saw it unfolding before the throne of God. But catch this, the church will be the kingdom of God that will last for all eternity. This is the truth. This is the story we find ourselves in. We, we feel like we're sort of upset riding this wave of like what's going to happen with, with a building that God has well taken care of. But it's just a tiny little blip, right? The big story. The people of God. This is a kingdom that will last forever. But Daniel had another inquiry. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. He says this, Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast. Okay? I want, this, Daniel says, I want to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others, that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Okay, he's, he, he's laying it back out, right? He wants to know. Verse 21, as I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. A little more information now up to this point. Remember this beast, he's saying? I want to know more about this beast. But here he tells us, verse 21, as I watched... This horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. Okay, so he, Daniel asks, right? He asks someone standing there, tell me about this beast. 
He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. Okay? So he lays it out and he says this. Right? Here's the deal. This, this fourth one is a, is a king that's going to come on the earth. It's a king that's going to come on the earth. And that king is going to actually, Daniel says, there will be waging of war, and, and at, at some level, the people of God will be defeated by this king. Right? The people of God will be defeated by this king. But he's going to continue to wage war. He's going to, he's, look at this last verse, he's going to speak against the Most High, oppress his holy people, and try to change the set times and the laws. And for a time, the holy people will be delivered into his hand. Right? Now, I want to be very careful with what we say here because, because there's an awful lot of ways to interpret this and an awful lot of things to try and understand about it. Okay? And, and you may come from a church background that gets very particular about the order of events on these things and whatnot, but I want to just zero in today on, on the truth that's, that's in this. Okay? Is that there will always be forces in the world disrupting the, the peace of God's people. Can you catch this? In this life, there's always going to be forces disrupting the peace of God's people. It's, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. In the New Testament, I, I believe that this is, this is talked about in the New Testament with, again, without, I would like more detail than is given to me in the New Testament. But I believe Paul writes about this in 2 Thessalonians. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, he's talking about the future coming of the Lord. That day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, I think this fourth beast is probably this man of lawlessness, is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. I think, I think Paul here in 2 Thessalonians is writing about this prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. There is a, a day of destruction that's coming for the last enemy of God and God's people. Okay? And he refers to him as this man of lawlessness. And he goes on and says, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything. Does it sound like a mouth that boasts? Over everything that is called God or his worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Okay? John writes it this way, and we're going to see the A word. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist, the one, that word, we've put a lot of baggage on it. But it really means the one opposed to Christ, the one opposed to God's anointed is coming. Even now, many antichrists, there's been lots of opposition to God. This is how we know it's the last hour. That a point, he's saying a point in time is coming. Paul and John both agree a point in time is coming where this last beast, this last beast challenges God to his face. To his face. But just as Daniel writes, is, is dismissed. Is dismissed. There's no victory in it. Because look at the end of Daniel chapter 7. Look at the end of Daniel chapter 7, what he says. He says, but the court, this is a, another, it's a lot of big butts here. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away. This is that beast. He's going to be judged. He's going to be judged against the standard that God has established. The court will sit and his power will be taken away and and completely destroyed forever, forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. 
All that exists will be given to the people of God. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. The sovereignty, the power, the greatness, these are the things that were already given to the Son of Man in Daniel's prophecy, right? These things were given to him. And now Daniel says, in Daniel's uh, vision, these are, these are given over to the holy people of the Most High. They're given to God's people so that he can rule through them. So catch this, all enemies of God, all enemies of God's work through his people are going to be judged. So listen, there are beasts in this world. There are beasts in this world. Don't deny it. We don't have to pretend it doesn't exist. We're told by God that there's a chain of unrelenting difficulty. It's the nature of the world in which we find ourselves. But, and it's going to go on and on, but we know this, that those who set themselves in opposition to God may seem like there's victory. They may seem like they have victory. But we know the end of their story. They are dismissed. They're they're destroyed and thrown into the fire. It's the end of their story. So all enemies of God's work through his people are going to be judged by him. They're going to be judged by him. And there's one last verse. Daniel says this. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. He held on to it. He didn't run around apparently in his, in his time. Because remember, this whole thing was scribed by someone. Daniel probably wrote it. It was probably written and, and, and put into the collection of, of writings by Daniel sometime later. Right? But he says, I was troubled. I didn't wa-, he said, I didn't want this to be the case. I didn't want to live in a world where the beasts just come at us one after the next. That's not the world I wanted to live in, but it was the world as it was revealed to me. It's the world as it was revealed to me, and it troubled Daniel. He saw the whole thing. God's victory, yes, but the difficulty of the path to that victory. In many ways, Daniel stands as a prototype for Jesus, right? Jesus knew the end of the story. He knew that through, only through his death, burial, and resurrection was everything going to be made right, but he still begged in the garden prayer to let it pass from him. Because the path is not easy. The victory is secure, but the path is not easy. So we just, one last conclusion. It's, it's human to be troubled by the uncertainty of the future. It's, it's only human. Daniel was. It's, when we look around and we see the trouble of our world and the uncertainty around it, and all you can imagine is that your dog has killed the neighbor's cat, It's natural to think this is going to ruin me. I'm never going to recover financially. Okay? It's only human. But I want to go back to something that we, we did several weeks ago. Okay? We did several weeks ago. I got one of these, right? Look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Can you, get, can you show it to me? You got one of those? Come on, you got it. What did we say about it, if you were with us? What did we say? God is completely or always in control. God is completely in control. He is. I like the simplicity of it, but I love the truth of it more. 
God is completely in control. And we have, we have options, right? Because there's alternatives. In order to get to this, we can't do this. We don't get to say God is completely in control without opening our hand to what he's doing. Right? If we're going to hold on to it, if we're going to do the death grip, if we're going to say there's no way, I'm hanging on, I only trust my own grip, if that's what we're going to say, we haven't opened our hand to God's control. Right? We don't get to, to receiving from God without these open hands. At the same time, that there's the alternative of the fist. One is that we have the fist because we're, we're insisting on keeping our hand on the levers. But the other reason we put up a fist is because we believe that we're supposed to fight. Right? I'm supposed to fight. Who's going to defeat these enemies? Me, right? But that's not the story. That's not the story. The standing firm and the taking action that Daniel was called to was not to put up his fist and to fight the beasts. The Ancient of Days, God Almighty does that. He does it through the work of his son, the Son of Man. It's his work. It's his work. It doesn't mean we do nothing. It doesn't mean we do nothing. But it means that we use our hands to love and serve our neighbors. Right? The call of God is to love him and to love our neighbor. And as long as we have a fist making enemies of our neighbor, we haven't opened our hand to accept God's control. You with me? I'm going to call the, the band up for, to do one more song as we just, a couple more reflections on this. The path of faith in God, the God who is real, requires openness to receive his goodness. And the, the fist, the angst, I get it. It's only human. It's only human to look around at the beasts in our world and to clench, to hold on tight. And I don't know, like, I don't know what it is for you that gets you worked up. I don't know what it is that causes you to seize up and to, to put up your fists. Maybe it's a big global stuff, the really big things, wars and famines and worried about the climate or whatever it is that you feel like is just like, ugh. But can you say it? Instead of this, God is completely in control of those things. He's got them. Maybe it's more local stuff, issues, moral things. You worry about how can, how can our, our culture, our society, allow the things to go on that go on? The taking of innocent life, the justified taking of innocent life. Maybe you get so worked up about this, the, the sexual agenda or the gender uh, politics, and it just gets us like this. It's not that those things don't matter. But the answer is God is completely in control. He is. Maybe the stuff that gets you like this is personal, right? It's, it's family. It's family. I'm, you know what? 
God, you take care of all that other big stuff. Like, I, my, I'm just, I'm going to hold on so tight right here. Can we say it, though? God is completely in control. He's got it. It's what the message of Daniel tells us. He's got from the big to the small. He's got it all. It's the message of his word. I, I believe we need to hear it over and over again. And I, I, because, I, because I believe that, that Daniel was given these visions to remind us of God's control because we so easily want to take it back. Will you pray with me? God, um, we... It's pointless to, to deny that we try to take control, that we try to fight, we try to, we try to make the battle our own. But we, 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 know, we know in our head that you've got it. We know that the, rea- the reality of the situation is that, that you are the one who's outside of time, the ancient of days, And you've given it all over to your son and through him you love us, your church. And we're with you. Would you help us in our faith to receive your goodness, to receive your grace, to trust you, to trust you with, with the big and the small, the things that get our, our blood pressure up, the things that get us, that get us convinced that it's all ruined, that the the beasts are going to win. Would you help us to trust you that, that you've given the end of the story and the victory is yours? And we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for, for walking through the, the difficult path so that we could, we could have life in you and we could belong to you. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.